This is episode zero Foxtrot of Free as in Freedom for Tuesday, May 10th, 2011. Hi, this is Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. So, uh, okay. Well, we're, we're, we're taking it easy yet again. I guess so. Yeah, but... it doesn't feel like taking it easy because it, it feels like presenting good content. Okay. <laughs> so we have more talks from the Linux Collaboration Summit that we've been using. And every week, or every episode rather, we every two weeks, we try to get permission from another speaker to uh, to be broadcast and to have their slides licensed under CC by SA. And we have at most one more, so maybe no more. Is that true? But uh, as I recall. Yeah, I guess so. So there's a, a limit to how many of these we'll be doing, but I think it's good to change things up a little bit and to hear from other people. Well, I could just record my next talks, and then we'll use those, and then we'll just be a show of all talks. Well, maybe we <laughs> should record your talk, but maybe we should have a few episodes in the middle that are just like old times. I just gave a talk, like, hours ago. Hours ago? Yeah. Well, hours, it, all, all, all the talks I've given have been hours ago. Just a few hours ago. Just a few hours ago. Because we're, we're, we're in the future. But not less than 24 hours ago. No, we're in the future. Oh, oh you're about to give a talk. No, but I We're gave in it. the future. I understand. We're in the future. Please explain We're for everyone else. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Right now, as you hear this, I am at Samba XP. I've just completed my keynote at Samba XP, which is oh, the then, annual Samba Developers Conference. And so our, the talk we have here is timely in that regard. That's true, because Samba XP is going on right now, and this talk is by Jeremy Allison of the Samba team. And it's about Samba. It's about why Samba picks GPLv3. Mm -hmm. But before we get to that, I'm giving another talk in just a few days. And where is that? That's at Linux Tag. And didn't you just come back from another conference? Uh, yeah, I think so. I was, oh, you yeah, I was at Linux, Linux Fest Northwest. Fest right? I gave four talks at Linux Fest Northwest. You gave, oh, oh, that's right. They accepted all four of your proposals. Yeah, that was weird. And how did it all go? Um, well, only two people showed up for the last one, but <laughs> which is what I sort of figured, which is I sort of told them not to. Um, I guess I'll give this feedback now. Because I've told, I've said it to enough people that I've almost said it publicly, that Linux Fests have to stop having so many tracks. They always have too many tracks, more tracks than they have attendees for. Yeah, I, you know, the one time I went, but I it's not just Linux Fest Northwest; it's all of them. All Linux Fests have this problem. They have too many tracks. Right. Yeah, the one I went to was pretty good, um, but it is frustrating when there are too many talks going on at once, and I have this problem at OSCON. That, you know, when there are too many tracks going on, you're always missing something that you'd like to hear. OSCON, probably, well, OSCON's become like, uh, like, Java, like Java Net and Uppsala and all these gigantic conferences where there's so many people going to them that they can actually have nine simultaneous tracks. But yeah. that's because they have thousands upon thousands of attendees. So they sort of have to have that if they're going to no, be that I, big. No, I hear you, but I guess it, it's the exaggerated version of, where, of what happens in, in other conferences, too, where if you have multiple talks going on, you know, there, there are things conflicting with each other, and that's tough. But that's not the problem I think it's, it's I even worse if you're giving a talk and there's nobody in the audience. Right. My, my problem is that on average, if, if there's only a few hundred people in the conference and you have eight tracks... You don't average out all that well as far as filling the room. Yep. So that, that is my concern. Uh, although some of my talks had better turnouts than others. Uh, and I, the room was filled for my compliance talk on Saturday. So there oh, was that. Oh, nice. So, yeah. But that, but on the flip side, none of their rooms are particularly big. So they can't have correct. one track. Yeah, but these rooms hold about 30 people. So. Yep. Uh, so on Friday, uh, I am keynoting at Linux Tag. Awesome. So also on compliance. Really cool. So... That's because uh, Samba XP is not that far from Linux Tag, so I was able to get a late submission into Linux Tag and going there. I, w I wouldn't normally go to Linux Tag. Linux Tag is the OSCON of Europe. Yeah. And so it's you know it's pretty corporate, and people told me not to bother to go. <laughs> well, it's good Community to go to those did. things when you can work them into well, other yeah, conferences. Really I sort of feel like it's good to be at you know at the 
variety of conferences that are around. I suppose that's true. The only reason I still go to OSCON is because I always go, I've always gone to OSCON. I, I think OSCON is valuable because there are so many, it's so big that so many people go and so many people that you'd like to talk to wind up being there. It's just useful to be in the same space. Yeah, but they're all just the speakers. <laughs> Because mo the attendees have slowly become fewer and fewer volunteer free software developers and mostly corporate people who are saying, what is this thing, this open source thing? I don't know. I don't know about that, actually. I but I, I, I do know that you're right. At least the, the large number of speakers and the relative quality of the speakers makes it very useful to go if just for interacting with other speakers. Although we'll be able to talk about OSCON in future shows, so we shouldn't get off topic onto OSCON. Okay. Um, I, anyway, we want to get to Jeremy pretty fast. But so I have one more you, thing. You wanted to talk about something else. Well, yeah, just because it's uh, timely, because last week, uh, remember we're in the future, Karen, don't forget. All right. Last week, uh, it was announced that modern developers were being laid off. And I, re I really quickly saw immediate responses from some people who claimed to be supporters of software freedom saying that this was, I saw things, people saying things like good riddance and they, they got what they deserved and all this sort of thing. I think people have misunderstood the nuance of the position of why mono is a problem uh, and in what ways it's a problem. And I wrote a blog post on this, which I'll link to in the show notes, the, the summary of which is that basically mono is dangerous to use for writing new applications when you have a full choice of all the language infrastructures available on GNU slash Linux. C sharp and mono is probably the worst choice because of the patent dangers presented by Microsoft's uh, likely patent holdings on C sharp. But mono should exist if for no other reason that it is important we convince Microsoft developers, you know, the people that Steve Ballmer jumps up and down and shouts about, developers, mm -hmm. developers, convince them to give up Microsoft and switch to GNU Linux. And if they don't have, and suppose they're all, they've been C Sharp developers since they graduated college, if their language isn't there on GNU Linux, they, they won't switch. Yep. So they won't be enticed to switch. Now, of course, once they switch, we'll try to convince them don't use C Sharp for new stuff because, but they might want to bring their code they've already written on Microsoft over, all that sort of thing. So it needs to exist even though it's patently risky. And in fact, this was true of Java in the mid-90s. We, we yeah. were working on a free software implementation of Java, even though we know, and we know now, Oracle has all these patents on Java, Sun did at the time. So just because it's patented doesn't mean you shouldn't have an implementation of it. It just means you should probably avoid it for new code. And that's all that the folks who are sort of the more radical anti-software patent free software people have been saying in the sense that mono developers are somehow evil or traitors or something and that they deserve to lose their jobs. Not that's not at all true. Also, the most likely kind of jobs they're going to get when they no longer work there is probably proprietary software writing yeah. jobs, which is clearly worse yeah. for free software. Um, now, uh, one side note is that somebody pointed out to me that some of what the Mono team was working on is proprietary. So the Mono for Android stuff was always proprietary software. So the fact that nobody's working on that, well, that's good news. But um, most of the Mono team, I would guess, was working on the free software implementation. Mm -hmm. so, so stop being hard on these people and help them find free software jobs instead of proprietary jobs instead. That's all I want to say about that. Great. Well, should we uh, then let Jeremy speak for himself? Uh, well, I wasn't speaking for Jeremy just then. No. You said that as if I had been just speaking for Jeremy. I was not. It, Although I was saying something about Microsoft and patents. So. It's true. And I think that I actually was thinking along those lines. So, okay. So this is Jeremy's talk from the Linux Collaboration Summit last month. The uh, slides for this presentation are available in the show notes. So if you want to put those up while you listen and follow along, um, that should be easy to do. Yet another friend I recruited to uh, submit a talk. Um, Jeremy is the a lead Samba developer, and he works at Google. He's also on the board of directors of the organization I work for, the Software Freedom Conservancy. And he's going to tell us why GPLv3 is awesome. Uh, thank you very much, Bradley. Um, so, um, first of all, um, as Richard said, uh, this is uh, not an employer-sponsored talk. So uh, please don't take any Googleisms out of this. This is uh, um, purely something I made up on the way here, as it were. Um, so e even though it's Samba badge, it doesn't even represent all the opinions of all the other Samba developers. Um, probably, um, probably represents the uh, the opinions of of uh, Andrew Trigel and myself, who were the original founders of Samba. Um, so just want to check: is there anyone here who doesn't know what Samba is? Uh, 
There may, there may be. Okay, good. Um, so, oh, and finally, I must thank um, Richard for allowing me to use his laptop to give my presentation because uh, my poor Google-equipped laptop uh, has a broken video output. So I'll be passing the hat around after the talk so that you can donate money to Google to pay for a new laptop for me. So. Yeah, you know, you know how it is to work at such a cash-strapped place, I'm afraid. Um, anyway, so why did we move to GPL v3? Well, let's take a step back. Why use the GPL at all? Because, after all, it's evil. Um, as people in tie-dye shirts usually come up to me and say, but GPL isn't free software, man. Um, for some reason, it's always man. Um, and they point out that we really should be using some version of... Uh, uh, BSD or MIT, and that everything else is is evil, and you know is is stopping um, um, is stopping people from using it in a truly free way, um, and in some ways that's true. That does have a, a valid point. Um, you know, I, I finally got fed up of arguing with people um, about the GPL and free software. Uh, uh, and being free software, and, now, and these days when people really bug me about it, I just say, no, the GPL isn't free software, it's just less restrictive than your proprietary license, so live with it. <laughs> it's a proprietary license that just happens to make you give away source code. Now, are you happy? <laughs> it's not free software, we'll, we'll change the definition of free, of free for you. So, you know, if you look at Samba, a lot of people have said, well, it'd be much more widely used if, you know, an Apple would still be using it um, if you hadn't gone GPL or if you'd used a different license. But what you have to do is you have to cast your mind back to when Samba was developed. There was no Linux, um, or if there was, it was a toy on the... Um, it, it was about as, as useful as Linux. It had no networking. Um, it was... Uh, there was another proprietary x86 unit at the time. So back in the early 1990s, I mean, things were just completely different. After all, I mean, there was a Clinton in government um, back then. Microsoft had a monopoly on the desktop um, all, the, all those years ago. And Keanu Reeves, you know, he, he looked young and fresh. And, and these days, things are just completely different, uh, as you can see. Um, yes, well, not maybe so much. Um, but what was very different um, was the effect, essentially, of the SMB protocol being completely closed. So Samba implements a protocol, even though you might know what it is, you might not know that Samba actually implements a protocol called SMB, and soon to SMB2 in our next release. It was a closed proprietary protocol. Netware was king. Um, Netware ran most things. Microsoft was trying to break into this market with their IBM and Microsoft, by the way, with their SMB protocol. And it was completely proprietary, and people simply didn't know how it worked. So what that meant is that any piece of information that you gleaned on how it worked, for instance, no one knew how to do long file names. Essentially, this was a business. If you could build an SMB or a SMB server at that time, and you had better fidelity to Microsoft server, this was a significant trade secret, a significant competitive advantage. So there were many different third-party implementations of SMB, and we all competed on, on how complete we were and how well we could serve Windows clients. And nobody wanted to share anything. I mean, we were the only people who were sharing because we were using GPL, which enforces sharing. Um, but everybody else would try and figure things out and massively keep it as a trade secret. So my, my thesis is, and there's no way of running this experiment again, really, is we're a different case to Apache. People, Apache and Samba kind of came up at the same time. Uh, Apache was implementing HTTP. Uh, we were implementing SMB, sort of Apache and, and um, Samba at the time. They've far outstripped, it, outstripped us, of course. But at the time, we're considered sort of the jewels in the open source crown, uh, in the free software crown. But Apache, there was no dominant client. There was no dominant, there were many different web browsers. It was an open protocol. Uh, there was no real advantage in hiding, the, because the, the protocol's completely open, there's no real advantage in hiding um, pieces of source code. Yeah, of course, there's implementation advantages. Um, but essentially, everyone's implementing the same protocol. Whereas when you look at uh, SMB, each little piece of the protocol it's, in itself is insanely valuable if you implement it. 
So it just wasn't very conducive to using an MIT or BSD or even Apache now license because nobody wanted to contribute anything back. I mean, essentially, the, the early days of Sambo, there was no corporate contributions other than people stealing time from their employer, which I was. Um, and I think Tridge was, uh, was doing that um, at, uh, at the Australian National University, but he was, uh, he was only stealing from himself because he was supposed to be doing his PhD. Um, but that actually meant that the GPL was an extremely good license for us. It's, you could argue that it's less good now because Microsoft, after the EU case, has completely documented all of the protocol. Um, there's no longer that need to work out really tricky little details and compete on those things. Now if we work out a tricky little detail, we actually send a documentation modification request back to Microsoft and they fix it for everybody. So, you know, it, it's now essentially an open protocol. Um, but, but that was the reason that we, we actually chose GPL. And at the time, the version that we chose was GPL v2. So that was what there was. The other reason we, we quite liked GPL v3 was that we were, we were kind of honoured to be asked to be part of the drafting process. Um, and so, you know, essentially, and I know there were many, many different drafting committees, but we had input into this. And it's, hey, it's kind of nice to have a licence that does, you know, that asks you, what do you guys want out of it? And so um, we actually got, um, th there were some pieces that I helped work on, I helped on the, the uh, DRM clause, which is actually one of the most controversial clauses of the GPLv3, um, but there were actually a lot of things that we fed back into that that you know were adopted or not, you know. But we we felt that we had input, which actually uh, is is a very positive experience when you're thinking about moving to a different license. So then, of course, there's the old sort of um, you communists, GPLv2. It's good enough for Linux. Why? Why isn't it good enough for Samba? Why? Why change? Everything's working fine. The GPL2 is the most perfect license in the world. It generates sharing. Everybody's happy. Nothing wrong with it. Well, unfortunately, that's that's not true. Um, the GPLv2 is a very good license. We were under it for years, um, but unfortunately, it's old. And um, corporations have got a lot bigger, started using this stuff a lot more, and lawyers have gotten a lot sneakier um, in, in analysing it and, uh, and finding ways around it. And the stakes are higher. I mean, back, back, when, um, back when we started using um, Samba and the GPLv2, um, you know, the, the kind of violations we would get were people would just sort of take it, rip it off, um, put a license manager on it and try and resell it as a proprietary product. This actually happened. Um, you know, but what happened was there started to be money in it. Um, and um, once money gets involved, people start paying a lot more attention to the details and how to work around them. Because any little advantage that you can get out of the license can mean a big difference in your commercial activities. So uh, here's a question I meant to ask a couple of slides ago, but I'll ask it now. How many people have worked at a company or, or seen a company where all use of any GPL software was absolutely prohibited? Anyone? OK. So now keep your hands up if, uh, any, if, it's, simple, if it's all use of GPLv2 code is allowed, but no GPLv3. Yeah. So I, I kind of predated that scare story. So I, I basically, we use GPLv2 software because the lawyers in our company simply didn't understand it. They didn't know what the engineers were doing. They didn't really care. We weren't violating it. We were using it internally or giving it away. Um, but once the lawyers saw it, they panicked. And my feeling is the same kind of thing happens with the GPLv3. It's different. It's new. It's not the GPLv2 we love. Ban it. And it's going to take a little while until the same lawyers who in initially said GPL is communism, ban GPL, not even realizing they were different versions, they will get to the point where they're comfortable with using GPL v3. And the reason for that is, if you look at it very carefully, for most business models that people using free software have, the GPL v3 is a better license for commercial use. Um, uh, there are some business models for, its, for which it's absolutely poison and doesn't work, and it was designed to be so. 
Um, and, and yeah, and if you have one of those business models, then you're not going to like GPO v3 code and don't use it. Um, but for most use, and I'm going to go into the details here, it's actually a much, much better license. So let me start by, by telling a little story from the history of Samba. And the relevance of this will become um, apparent a little later. Back, we were developing Samba, corporations began to realize, hey, you know this thing, if we added a disk drive and we got a network attached story box and it's, it's cheap. Um, so people, people started funding use of Samba. They started paying contractors to add code, etc. And we were lucky enough that it was Tridge who was funded to do something, because of course he's the uh, the uh, the best person to write new code in Samba. So he was he was funded to add some code to Samba, which he duly did, and then realised that um, he he was working for a company that doesn't exist but shall remain nameless. But it, what that company did, without telling him, of course, was they signed a standard commercial agreement, the kind of thing that Karen's talking about, they didn't look at it, which gave all copyright rights of everything that Tridge wrote in Samba to the company that they were uh, writing the code for. Didn't seem much of a problem, um, until in an idle conversation with that company's lawyer, uh, one of that company's lawyers, um, the lawyer said, yeah, it's really great we finally got some copyright in Samba, because now if people violate the GPL, we can sue them and stop them using them in competing NAS products. <laughs> and um, this was a, a massive concern at the time because we were working with a company who had violated the GPL on Samba, who had a, a, a NAS product which they discovered they were, they, they were using Samba, we knew about it, but they had taken some of the Samba code and they'd put it inside a BSD kernel. Um, and they weren't shipping source to that. They wanted some proprietary modifications. And we were in the middle of negotiating with them in order to, to essentially to correct the violation and give us all the changes that they already had. And, you know, that was the kind of thing where had company A known that company B was in violation, uh, they would quite happily have sued them because they were both NAS vendors, both using Samba, both in complete competition. And they could have had open warfare using us as a method um, of hurting each other. Now, um, this doesn't sound like it's much to do with the GPL. It sounds like it's to do with copyright assignment. And this, to this day, is the reason why we don't accept corporate copyright into Samba. People give individual copyright into Samba. But there's a nice, or rather, how, how many people have heard of the GPL v2 death penalty? Yeah. Very few, and, and, and for lawyers in the room, this should scare you, because you should have heard about this, and you should know about it. So let's read the relevant section of GPL v2. This is why the GPL v2 is not such a good license as all of the corporate types who, corporate lawyers who think, oh, we're nice and safe with the GPL v2. You may not, um, well, I know you can read, but I'm going to read the, the last bit anyway, just to point it out. Any attempt otherwise to copy, modify, sub-license, or distribute this program is void and will automatically terminate your rights under this license. Does anyone see what's missing from that sentence? Yeah, that, thank you, James. I'll, I'll let you answer that. <laughs> yes, it is an irrevocable termination. There is no way to get back into compliance once your, light, once your rights are terminated. So imagine I'm Joe Bastard kernel developer and somebody is, you know, completely violating the, the GPL. But I'm like Bradley or, or well, no, that, I'm sorry, that's, that's mean. I, I want these guys to suffer. So I say, right, you violated my license. I'm terminating your rights under this license and I will never allow you to redistribute again. Goodbye all your Linux products. They're gone, man. Unless you rewrite that person's code, you have no rights. You can no longer redistribute. Now, there are very few Joe Bastard kernel developers. That's not to say there won't be some in the, fu in the future. But essentially, you can lose the rights. Now, mo most of the kernel developers will allow, say, oh, you're back in compliance. Oh, I'm happy now. Cause... But that's not always going to be the case. And especially if you examine the case where it's a 
company that holds those rights who might want to hurt another company, which of course would never happen in such a sunny little industry as ours, um, you might find yourself in a, a oops, um, lost my badge, lost my, uh, hang on a sec now, I'll just hold it. You might find yourself in a very sticky situation. So I'm not going to read this, okay? <laughs> but this is, this is the relevant section of GPLv3. Uh, and the main thing it says is that it's not irre irrevocable and you get your rights back. So um, this is one of the incredibly uh, commercial use friendly aspects of GPLv3. There are provisions for automatically getting your rights back. You don't lose your rights permanently. If you address the, uh, the license violation in a, a reasonable time frame, except it, it's written down. <laughs> I mean, that's something you might want to point lawyers at. Um, so that's a very, very important point. Another one. If you actually look at the GPL v2 very carefully, it actually, it's actually really hard to give source code away. It requires a written offer to provide the source code. I mean, that's you know usually on a piece of paper stuck in a box or whatever. Now, commonly, that's ignored. I mean, it really is. You, normally, you'll say sort of, oh, go to, you know, www.nasvendor.com slash support, and in the driver download section, you'll find the source or whatever. That's a violation. That's, that's actually a technical violation. You did not give the written offer to the people that you're distributing the binaries to. Um, plus, the other thing is, imagine that you're you know, a, a NAS vendor who's churning out many, many different products, you, you take your Linux, you take your Samba, you take your NFS server and stick an Apache thing on it. I mean, you don't want to have to be distributing all that source code from your website. So the nice thing about GPLv3 is it allows web distribution. So if you're, if you're just shipping stock geostandard Samba 3.4.7 or whatever, on your box, you've made no modifications, you don't care, you can simply have uh, something that points to the Samba uh, website URL and say, hey, this is the source, we got it from there, bother them, not us. Um, and so that makes it a lot easier to satisfy source code provisions um, to giving out source code for GPLv3. Um, I, I know Bradley doesn't like me saying this, but it's true. Um, GPLv3 is a lot easier to use if you want to use it in, con in conjunction with proprietary software. <coughs> so one of the ways that people use Samba all the time, um, and this is, comes down to the uh, Karen's great talk about signing NDAs, a lot of the time people ask me to go and talk to them about using Samba, and they'll say, oh, but we have this really special file system, it's all in kernel space, and we want to tell you how it works and how Samba can work, and so sign this NDA. And I always say, I'm not signing the NDA, just don't tell me about the magic. Just don't tell me about the stuff that you don't want me to know, because you don't need, you don't need, um, essentially, you, you don't need um, to tell me that knowledge to make Samba work with it. Samba actually has a pluggable VFS interface, and it's extremely easy if you, have a, if you have a library that ships on your system that all applications can use that does the magic stuff, your valuable extra proprietary magic stuff, if it's a system library, Samba can just use it and you don't have to give out the source code. So um, GPLv2 has this system libraries exemption, uh, although it's that, those words are not actually used in the v2 text. Um, and it's kind of widely assumed that sort of Slaris libc falls under this exemption. But GPLv3 is very explicit about this. So it actually tells you what is a system library, how does it link, um, you know, how, how you actually make the distinction of making something a system library on your platform. So it actually is a lot easier for vendors who want proprietary pieces to work with Samba or other GPLv3 code to separate that stuff out. Um, like I say, which, which upsets free software people, but what are you going to do? Um, so the other thing it has is better license compatibility, and if you can read and understand that, you're a better person than I am, because I don't kind of care. Um, essentially, for me, it means that I can use uh, software in a, under Apache 2.0 license into Samba. Uh, I haven't actually done that yet, because we haven't found anything, any libraries or whatever that we need. 
Um, but it's now uh, it's now possible, and it makes it makes it easier for us to essentially go fishing in code repositories for useful things that we might want to add um, to Samba. Uh, there's only one there's only one problem um, um, and one antisocial act is scumbags who say GPLv2 only, not you know pointing at people or mentioning any names or you know. <laughs> it's a very antisocial act. Um, mainly because v3 is unfortunately incompatible with v2 only because the v2 only license doesn't allow um, combinations with software that has additional restrictions and the things in the GPLv3 are considered additional restrictions for GPLv2 so don't be an antisocial free software developer there's no problem with using V2. It's a fine license if you don't mind scaring the crap out of your corporate customers with a death penalty and other things. Um, but if you made your code V2 or later, rather than V2 only, you can still publish your code under V2, um, V2 <coughs> or later. But it does mean that projects that move to GPL V3 can incorporate and use that code. Uh, and it does mean that... Um, when the whole thing is distributed with pieces of v V3 code, the whole com combination becomes V3 or later, usually. But the pieces that people wrote that were V2+, plus, they still remain V2+, plus and can be taken out and used under the V2 license. Um, so it's it's a matter of being friendly and nice. Yes, hi. <laughs> you have to tell us don't want some of those licenses that are compatible with Um, so the, the comment is, some of the licenses that are compatible with V3, you don't actually want your code to be used in. Uh, which, which specific ones would you? Solaris kernel. Uh, so the Solaris kernel. Um, is, is CDDL compatible with V3? Yeah, uh, I, I didn't think it was, actually. I think that might be... A, I, I, didn't, I didn't think it was. It's, not, it's a copy it's a weak copy license, so it's yeah. not. So according to a lawyer here, <laughs> who, who trumps us technical types, he says no. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, um, yeah, no, I, I completely understand. I mean, I was at SGI when we released XFS, and one of the reasons we chose the GPL uh, was to make sure that Sun couldn't put it in Solaris. <laughs> yeah, which is a, hey, that's a perfectly valid, uh, valid reason. I fully understand that. But I, I, think, I think you might be a little bit more concerned than you need to be here. So I, I was driving home last night because unfortunately I'm commuting up and down from the South Bay and I, I listened to Chuck Finney's Your Legal Rights on uh, 91.7, the, the NPR station uh, and I, I heard this horror of somebody calling in and saying, what do you think about software patents? The open source guys don't like them. Uh, and the lawyer running the show said, oh, I think they're a great idea. Oh, I think they're a perfect. So what I'd like to ask is any lawyers, or any, is there anyone here who actually thinks software patents are a good idea? Yeah, I thought so. Just just wanted to check. Yeah, yes. So people who actually work in the industry rather than comment on them on the bloody radio actually understand the issue. Um, so the GPLv2 does have some pattern protections in it. Um, they're not as comprehensive as the v3 ones. Um, I, they're actually quite strong. I, I think they're stronger than most people think. Um, so let's see. The issue is, um, it is arguable that the GPLv2 section 7 doesn't protect against uh, agreements structured as the covenant not to sue. Uh, you know, the common complaint, well, the GPLv3 was crafted explicitly to screw the Novell deal. Ah. But actually, the Novell deal, deal was explicitly grandfathered into GPLv3, so it doesn't screw the Novell deal, but it does prevent other deals of a similar type. Um, and the issue for that is that clever lawyers, uh, of which I'm sure there are many in this room, can craft agreements that will um, allow direct customers of a GPL, by, uh, GPL software distributor to be covered, but not downstream recipients, not customers of their... Of, if, the, if their customers then passed it on, they're not covered. Um, and the GPLv3 actually fixes that issue and um, so, so we're getting into the more dangerous areas which cause corporate lawyers to say, oh, don't use V3. Um, and it provides better protection uh, against 
lawsuits from uh, from contributors. So I mean, essentially, if your business model is suing the people you collaborate with, then yes, the GPLv3 is an evil license. Um, if if your business model doesn't involve suing the people you collaborate with, then it's actually kind of important to help collaborators play nice with their patent pools. And as far as I can see, uh, and I'm sure a lawyer will correct me if I'm wrong, it's pretty damn similar to the Apache 2 patent grant. Um, would, would anyone agree or disagree? You don't, you don't think so? Okay, well that's why I'm not a lawyer, because I don't understand that. But you got a question. So, uh, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm just to make it clear. I, I, I really believe that software patents are terrible. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, on the other hand, I, I realize the reality of the situation is they are being used defensively. Yeah. But, but as from, 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 so the, the comment is basically you're disarming yourself by releasing code into GPLv3. I, I think that's a common fear that there are some, uh, there are some contributors to Samba. Who basically they pay pe external people to contribute because they're frightened of doing that um, themselves. Um, I, for, so from my reading of it, um, you are granting patent use within the uh, within the product within the thing that you're working on. I don't think you're granting a broad patent grant, from what I understand. Something else, yes. Yeah, then the, the non-GPL software is not covered. And in fact, if somebody then takes the GPL software and adds something to it that you didn't add that's covered by your patent, that's not covered either. So if you look at, if you look at V3, it, it, it essentially says the, 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 pro, the state of the GPL code when you contributed, essentially you're giving a patent grant to that. You're not giving pa a, an open-ended patent grant to any future modifications. Yeah. It seems like this could actively lead to cast vendors not wanting to even at least contribute to something because they're worried about losing their aggressive or defensive or whatever powers against each other. Um I well I think it's true in that they couldn't sue each other over Samba. Which is to be honest, which is what I want. Um, you know, because if they're contributing to it and they're both using it I want people to be able to contribute to it without fear of getting sued by another contributor. I guess with the you know, pessimistic view of that world is if you're a massive company, you could say that Samba has all of your patents. Uh, well, I think I think that would be a very broad interpretation. But I mean, so I, I mean, and of course this doesn't help you at all against non-contributors. So you know, this is one of the reasons that several. Uh, very proprietary companies who have XMB servers. Uh, obviously, they don't want to contribute to Samba because they don't want to uh, put their patents into the, the common pool. Um, and of course, even this is no defense against patent trolls. There's you know, nuclear weapons, I think, are the only defense against patent trolls. Um, yeah, they, they, yes, I think, I think that's correct, as James says. V2 and V3 are kind of similar. V3 is a little more explicit as to what's allowed and what isn't, and, and explicitly closed the hole on the covenant not to sue agreements. But I, I, I think my feeling is that eventually um, corporate lawyers will get a lot more comfortable with it and realize that they're not giving away the farm by, by contributing to a V3 product, project. So now let's go into the really controversial stuff, you know, the uh, the DRM thing. Um, and as you said, uh, you scumbags, you ruin my business model. Um, so what you have to remember is that Samba and and let me let me go on record here. I don't like the word Tivoization. I think it's unfair to Tivo. They're not an evil company. They have a business model that depends on locking stuff down. You know, which well, which may be evil, but that's that's what their business model is. 
Um, and so it's unfair to sort of tar all of that with, with their name. Um, but the anti-DRM provisions were actually one of the things that we worked on um, as part of the working groups. And, and there is a little bit of history here. And I'm, I'm hoping I don't, I don't mangle Andrew's story too much. Um, but th this is the smartest man in Australia, if, uh, if you don't recognize him, who's uh, the, the, the real brains behind Samba. And uh, he, I, I think, I think if I'm, probably I'm going to get some angry emails from him if I'm wrong, but uh, I, I think the story was he, he was actually given a TiVo box by the U.S. Embassy in Canberra, which is where he lives. And they said, you know, we really like this thing, but we can't, we can't get it to, it, it's only working with the U.S. TV programming, which we can't get. So can, can you help us make it work with the Australian program guide? So, so Tridge basically took it apart and worked out how the programming guide worked. And as, as he does, you know, as he's kind of wandering around the insides, he, re he figured out how that file system worked and, and built a bunch of tools that if he wanted to, could have pulled the, uh, the entire video stream off their, their proprietary file system. And so he kind of went over to them and he showed them the tools and they tried to hire him, of course. Um, and, you know, and he never released those tools, but the fact that I, I can't remember how he mentioned that he could do this. This led other people to re-implement his work, which he never gave away. And of course, at that point, TiVo in a bind because their agreements with a lot of the um, uh, program makers state that you can't get this data off their disks. So they had to start putting in a completely locked down Linux kernel, and thus, thus you know, and thus everything started. Um, so. DRM, I, I'm not a big fan of it, uh, and this this is probably the most controversial provision uh, in the GPLv3. And for some companies, this is a perfectly valid reason why they would never want to use GPLv3 code. And, you know, I, I disagree, but I I am understanding of that. So the main thing about GPLv3 uh, and the intent behind all the complicated language in it is, if you can update your device, if if a if a vendor can update the device, you want the people who own it, the customers, the users, to be able to update it in exactly the same way. Uh, and I, I personally think this is a very important provision um, because, as I like to say, in the future, every doorknob in this room is going to have an embedded operating system, probably Linux, uh, in it. And, you know, if you can't end up controlling how the doorknob opens and who can lock it, then, you know, you don't control the entrance ways to your own house eventually. I mean, you know, processes are coming in so cheap, Linux is free, it's going to make its way everywhere. And if you, if somebody auto-updates your home security systems or whatever, you could be in trouble. Um, the nice thing about this, and, and I think this is a valid, um, a valid reason for using GPLv3, even if you want lock lockdown systems, you don't have to support modified versions. So if you do replace it, you can make the device guide a warranty. Uh, and the oh okay good ten minutes and the the other thing is um, if it's a completely sealed device which is never updatable again you don't have to um, be, if you can't update the device yourself you don't have to add in ways to make the user update it yeah Greg I'm sorry ah you could have stayed at V2 plus I would have been happy with that. <laughs> so, kind of implicitly, yes, if you like. V it was never plus. Uh, yes, but I, I think if you're going to change, plus is where you should go. Yeah? Um, and the other thing it prohibits, which I think is is because a lot of people said, oh, Apple have stopped using Samba in their latest line release. What's the issue with this? And, you know, I made a flippant comment about, well, it's, it's the GPL. They don't like it. They've been moving away from it for a while. Uh, um, but thinking about it, I don't think it's specifically GPLv3 they don't like. Well, maybe. Um, it, it's the fact that the GPL itself is incompatible with the licensing terms, and especially the GPLv3 is incompatible with the licensing terms on the application store model, where they want to be able to sell you stuff that essentially people can lock down on the devices you own. Uh, and some people like that. Some people think that's fine. Um, but but GPLv code and explicitly GPLv3 code is incompatible with that business model. So if your business model depends on selling proprietary software that people can't change to devices that they buy from you, then you can't use GPLv3 code and 
that's fine. Just like, you know, it, it, the license is incompatible. Just like, you know, if you didn't want to accept the Microsoft license, you wouldn't be able to use the Microsoft Microsoft code on that either. Um, so that's that probably the most um, that's that's probably the most controversial part of the GPL v3. That's it, it's kind of a religious debate. I, I, I know where I come down on it. Um, but, um, you know, pe people of, of good conscience can argue either side on that. So what has been the result other than Apple dropping us like a hot rock? Uh, actually, rather than uh, actually it took them a while. They held the rock for a while, but they, they held Samba 3 to Owen Dis despite uh, claims you may have heard about how mean and awful we were. We've been providing them with security patches and updates for Samba 3.0, which has been out of maintenance for about three years, because we don't want their customers to have insecure software. But most NAS vendors, most people using Samba, they just kind of looked at it. I'm sure there were a lot of nasty emails going between the legal departments of the companies, but they just basically quietly rolled over to using versions of Samba under GPL v3. As far as I know, there have been no changes in any compliance strategies from any of our OEMs or vendors. They just, whatever they were doing with V2 was completely uh, okay with V3 as well. I mean, and the people who were violating it anyway, they just kept on, <laughs> they just, you know, the, the people who are shipping boxes made in Taiwan or whatever that ignore the GPL completely, they continued ignoring the GPL. There was no change there. Um, and so what I'm, I'm hoping to do with this talk and what I'm, hoping to get out there is that um, once in-house corporate lawyers do get more familiar with v3 um, I'm hoping that people will realize it's an easier license to work with and I mean you know I, I'm a free software person so this isn't a great this isn't great but it's actually easier to mix proprietary and free software on the same box under the v3 license yeah question Um, oh, so, so the comment is, is a BSD license even easier? Well, yes, obviously. I mean, if, if you, if you want to, because you have to think about how you mix proprietary and free software under the GPL copyleft licenses. And of course, if you, if you just want to, if you, well, I mean, the BSD license is no barrier to creating simply proprietary software. So <laughs> yes, if, if, if creating proprietary software is what you want to do, then Obviously, MIT BSD licenses are much, much easier. Uh, so yes, I, I am comparing it to V2 here. Um, and you know, if we were doing Samba again today with the full spec, might we have chosen a different license? Yes, that's possibly true. Um, but I, I think we've managed to be very successful and uh, because of our, our history. And I, I also think there are similar cases today where engendering co cooperation uh, there's a reason that the GPL license is like 70% of all free software uh, projects, new projects started. So, okay, got got five minutes. Um, so, actually, I, I'm kind of done. Um, so, this is a wonderful little. Uh, I'm so glad you were able to release that. Yeah, this this is a wonderful little picture that uh, my my colleague at Google, Dan Bentley, did when he was very bored in an afternoon. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave it up if you want to come up and. Uh, but but if you really want to know how to choose an open source license, here is here is uh, how to do it. You just follow this simple flowchart, and it has such things like you know, what should users do? Digest and adopt and obey the trends of free software, and then how crazy are you? Um, it's called GNU crazy, damn it. Um, or it's good or, or uh, if you have an ordinary family history, it's LGPL. If you think Emacs is people too, then it's obviously V3. Um, and coming down to the uh, how do you like your license? Short. And then which side of the Mississippi are you on? West, it's BSD. East, it's MIT. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a, almost every license you could possibly want is selectable here. So if you really want to do licensing, just you don't need lawyers at all. Just come up here and follow this flowchart. And the thing I really love is there's absolutely no way to get to lose some public license from that. <laughs> Which I think is, is probably a good idea. What brings you to AGPL there? Um, AGPL is peanut butter hula hoops. Yes, if, if it's how crazy are you and it's peanut butter hula hoops is the answer, then definitely AGPL for you. So, yes, question. Are your slides available? Uh, no, but they should be. Uh, I'll put them on Samba and uh, I'm presuming that the Linux Foundation will yeah, want them or something. To them and I'll to 
Yeah, yeah and, and I'll also make sure they're available on pubs, uh, samba.org, pub samba slides. When I collect multiple figures, watch my identity stream, I'll, I'll say where they are. Yeah. Ah, so, oh, oh, yes, it, it, he also posted it on Reddit, so <laughs> the, the same thing is available on, on Reddit. So <laughs> it, it's Dan Bentley who did this, my colleague in New York. Yeah. Okay. Are you familiar with the uh, GCC runtime library, etc.? Oh, the GCC, uh, so I, 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 uh, I avoided that like the plague. Um, I, I vaguely remember looking at it, but isn't that a whole other argument that you can go off in a room and beat each other up with or something? Um, you got the drafters of it in the room, uh, these two of them. So yeah, pick up a big piece of rubber hose, take those guys in the in another room, and I, I was just curious yeah. Decided it's decided to is it a good thing after a year or two, or how long? How long it's been? Is it been successful? Um, depends on the ask. You ask Apple, they'll, they'll tell you that, that it makes all binaries GPL be free. They'll be wrong. Um, well, you I think it's working? Yeah. Well, so, yeah. So so the yeah. So, so the, I mean, so I guess. Uh, I, I think I understand the goals. Of the to get, just to get yeah. plugins, plugins into GCC without uh, without having proprietary yeah. plugins. Right. <laughs> so, so the question then is, uh, why tie that to runtime? Because there are basically the runtime libraries that have nothing yeah. to do with. All right. I can answer that, but that's probably. All right, you guys, t take that offline. But the the one thing I, I think is important to take away from just that little discussion is that intent of the authors matter matters so um, you know if somebody comes up to us with a crazy legal theory about having Samba on their box means that everything has to be GPL and and you know we don't believe that and we're not going to sue you over that so even if your lawyers are insane I mean you know you have insane lawyers to deal with but it doesn't mean that that's ever going to be a problem for you so I mean intent of the authors really really matters um, and uh, Samba I mean our main goal is if somebody comes to us and says you have a, a, a GPL violation with Samba, it isn't to sort of, all right, we're going to cause you pain. Um, you know, we're not Busybox after all. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Oops. Um, our main goal would be to get you back into compliance. Uh, yes, uh, yes, I know. I know. And I, I, I shouldn't be mean to Busybox because we, we ride on the coattails of Busybox very much to, to get back into compliance. So I, I, I withdraw my cruel and mean remark about my colleagues there. Um, but, um, oh God, there was something else that sprang into mind. Um, um, yes, in, intent matters. Uh, oh, and the other thing, I had to point this out. I, I gave a similar sort of potted version of this, not about GPLv3 explicitly, but just open source, to the federal government in the State Department. Because, uh, uh, and somebody came up with this question of, well, if I get it wrong, I will have to release my source code. And I just want to state once definitively and for on the record, no one who, if you use someone else's GPL code, they can never make you release your source code. Never, ever, ever. This cannot be done. You can, you can make them stop distributing stuff, but the fear that somehow by using GPL code will make your source code go, get released into the wild is crazy. I mean, you, if somebody comes to you and says, you violated GPL, I want you to release it, then you can decide whether you want to do that or not, but you always have the option to say, well, screw you then, I'm going to stop distribu distributing. No one can ever make you release source code you don't want to release. And that's, that's kind of this irrational fear that, that bubbles around, you know, uh, very ably supported by legions of FUD masters from various places, uh, but it's simply not true. And that, if I'm going to end it with that, I'm, if I'm going to finish with anything, I'm going to end with, you know, um, the GPL is people too. So. All right, thank you. Jeremy is such a fun speaker. Well, yeah, I, I really wanted him to give that talk in particular because there's so few people doing GPLv3 advocacy talks. Um, and then you've got Fontana making fun of the title of mine all the time. Um, <laughs> and I really basically begged him to give a talk that would be about specifically why Samba switched to GPLv3, which he was glad to give because I don't think 
those reasons that Samba had for switching have ever been out there in, in any sort of coherent way. And and I think it's more, you know, it's, it's, it's good to have. I mean, I think the FSF has been out there talking about why it, it's better to move to GPLv3 from their perspective. But, um, but I think that's a little bit different than, you know, a, a project that has switched. <laughs> he may have overstated when he said GPLv2 only is antisocial. That's always a little bit of an overstatement. I liked how the kernel developers in the room waved. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm sympathetic to the proposition that you don't, you know, that one might want to choose a license that one can read. That like the idea that you're going to sign on to a license that you don't even know what it will say is very is problematic in advance. Yeah, I think and I think by Jeremy saying that he actually meant it's an antisocial act now that V3 is out is what I think. Yeah, he means. well, I guess what I'm saying is I'm sympathetic to sticking to your, you know, just to to not changing your position once you've made it in that way. But yeah, and this is one of the reasons that the V3 proxy idea was added where you can on patch sending designate a proxy mm -hmm. who can decide without assigning copyright, just designate yep. a proxy who can decide or later, later. Yep. Or dash later, space later, I just said to be clear. Um, yeah, one thing that I really confused me about Jeremy's talk was referring to the um, GPLv2 death penalty, which, uh, of course, I'm familiar with the termination provisions in GPLv2, but I didn't, I never heard anybody call it that. Yeah. Is that something that people use? I don't know. I, I, well, you know what my slide looks well, cause like. Well, because I felt kind of silly because he asked for people to raise their hand if they'd heard of it. And I was, and then I, I realized that, you know, I, I couldn't raise my hand because I'd never heard of it. Okay. So if but Jeremy, I knew what he was talking about ultimately. If Jeremy had said that to me before, uh, I'm sorry. If he you hadn't raised said your hand. I raised my hand because I looked at his slides before. Oh. What, what, but but so I I I knew he meant termination. I would have raised my hand anyway, but would have thought he meant something different. I would have thought he meant uh, uh, the give my software liberty or give a death clause. Uh, I wonder if other. I was wondering if that was what he was referring to. But I wasn't sure. So I would I didn't have want to raise right. my hand if I hadn't seen. I, 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 Jeremy asked to me to review his slides uh, before, so, right. so I knew what he was going to say. So obviously, I raised my hand. But even if he had not done that, I would have raised my hand, but been thinking something different. So if you listened to that talk, and you, I guess you're still you're still listening, so you probably did listen to the talk. So if you got when you got to that point, if you uh, if you didn't know what he was talking about, you're in good company, or you you know I, I would have felt the same at the outset, the introduction of the term. So uh, so. But that's okay. I mean, that's what he called. I, I mean, I, I basically call it the exterminate provision because I use dialects on my slide <laughs> when I talk about it. And I just refer to it as a GPLv2 termination provision. Well, th th it's important to, to point out how, how strict it is. And that's what Jeremy was really trying to yeah. do was to point out that, 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 that people are constantly saying that the V2 is, is, a, is not as strict as V3. And that's a case where a V2 is so strict that, that Jeremy's point about the dangers of having corporate copyright in their code base are, are, are real to them. That, that they're afraid companies are going to use it that way. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I understand that, the, the fear that's, that somebody's going to vindictively use the GPL because people have vindictively used the GPL. Uh, and, and certainly companies have built business models around vindictively using V2 and preferred V2 in the end precisely because the termination clause was so strict. I'm thinking specifically of MySQLAB in that case, where they wanted that termination because they didn't want people to be able to come into compliance with MySQL. They wanted to buy a proprietary license. So. I, I think I, I think th that's useful. I, I think the interaction in the room, which obviously the listeners didn't see, but there was a, a good amount of interaction in the room yep. between uh, the four Linux kernel developers that were in the room uh, with Jeremy. And, and actually, most of those Linux kernel developers are ones that I've talked to. I actually owe them a, a paper that I've promised them like a year and a half ago that would explain, basically answer their paper that they wrote. That, I think it's longer yeah. ago. Is it two years now? I think okay. so. So it's basically the plan is to answer their paper that they wrote in the middle of V3 process to point out what changes were incorporated into V3 based on their suggestions and, and of course, what places that mm -hmm. their, their, their arguments probably still would be valid, even if I don't agree with them. So mm -hmm. eventually I will do that. I mean, I, I haven't focused on that because my current, uh, which is actually a very successful effort, is to get the Linux developers more engaged with GPL enforcement, mm -hmm. which is happening. So uh, so that that's probably a higher priority than getting the switch to V3. So. Yep. Well, I hope you enjoyed that uh, Jeremy speech as much as we did. 
And is there anything else we have to tell people? I don't think so. Okay. Um, well, I think that's the show then. Yep. Okay, that's the show. That's the show. Freeze and Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of HalfBigMedia.com. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. Free as in Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Please provide any feedback to oddcast at faif.us. Mm-hmm.